This year our goal is $5,000, and 10% of that goes to the Colorado Missions Offering. September is the month of emphasis for that, and that was a church plant in the Denver area. That's one of the things that we can support doing. Actually, even this morning, I got an email as a member of the admin team on the association requesting funds that they had requested, too, from the state to be used in evangelistic efforts in Walsenburg. So there are a lot of different ways. Last week, we looked at a video about disaster relief, but church planting, special evangelistic events, and we have used monies from the Colorado Missions Offering for those things as well. So your giving matters, and it's, it's great to see that through the trials and the, uh, the weirdness of the last two years, how do you put it together? I mean, dealing with a massive illness, worldwide pandemic, but also with all the challenges that have come as a part of that, that God is still at work through that. With that, talking about trials and things like that, uh, I got a little... See, last week you didn't say anything. You're a lot nicer to me than you were this week. Uh, somebody was making fun of my outfit this morning. That's your preacher's wearing sweatpants. I mean, come on. Give me a, no, I'm just kidding. Um, well, I am wearing... But uh, I got this wonderful boot, which is incredibly comfortable. Um, this morning I... I had a, uh, I, I've been wearing just the ankle sock over that so that, you know, my toe's not sticking out the end of it and things like that. Well, I put on the other ankle sock on my foot and forgot to put on a long sock. So you get, you get some leg this morning, all right? I, I didn't even realize that until I was sitting down over here. <laughs> so anyway, um, you, you got me here, all right? That's, that's what you need to know. Uh, sometimes just getting there is the win, Right? And I know many of you, if not all of us, have been there at different times. So I appreciate your grace in that um, and God's grace in bringing us together to worship his name. I invite you this morning to start out today in Psalm 22. Didn't want to let you down. I told you that's where we we're going to start this week. Um, we're going to read that in its entirety. I'm not going to dwell too much on it, but what I want you to, to th- see as we go into this is that a thousand years before the crucifixion, God pre- predicted through David how it was going to happen. This is long before the Romans ever used this method of execution. But God's plan from the beginning has been that cross. And it's because of his great love for you and for me and for the world that he did that. So let's go to Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and in you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. 
Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joints. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of earth, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him, and shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation, that they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. He has done it. Lord, you have done it. The work of salvation is not ours, but it is yours. And only you... Only you save. And I thank you by your word, you, you showed us long before you came by means by which it would come. And ultimately, as we read through this entire psalm, the fulfillment to all generations, the offering you give to us through Jesus Christ, the blessing that you offer us in salvation. And I pray for especially the one who might not have received that gift today, that as we see the, uh, the passage that you have given us today, as we see what you endured for us, that we would set our hearts and our minds upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. With that, and uh, there could be about 35 sermons preached out of Psalm 22. Uh, I'll invite you now for a purpose to turn to Mark 15. Because, uh, well, I'll tell you why in a second. Mark 15. Psalm 22 is amazing, as, as you can read it, but the thing that, that gets me is that it encompasses all of salvation history. It talks about who God is. It talks about the events of the crucifixion. It talks about the fulfillment that is found. It talks about the great love that God has for the world and ultimately what he has called those who believe in him to do. 
and that is to take salvation, the message of salvation to the ends of the earth. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an, amazing, an amazing psalm and, and worthy of further study, and uh, I invite you to, to do that on your own. You're all literate, smart people, and uh, if you need some resources on that, I'd be willing to help you out with it. But today, we want to look at the fulfillments of that psalm, which uh, finds its place on the cross. Mark chapter 15 is one of four accounts, if you know the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell the, tell the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. And each one of the Gospels carries a little bit of different detail, and I'm not going to dive into all the detail, I'm just going to stick with Mark today. Um, but there were seven things that Jesus said that we have accounted for within, um, within the Gospels, all four Gospels. We can pull all, all seven of those things out. And Mark, we just have a couple of the things that he said, but they're significant. They, they show us what God came to do through Jesus. And remember, the Gospels, I'm, I'm going to say this over and over because people get it confused. The Gospels do, are not here to be a biographical record of Jesus. They are here as extended passion narratives, passion being his suffering, and, and, and the story of his, how God redeemed humanity with extended introductions. Because by the time you get to the last half of the Gospels, Jesus is on a beeline for the cross. You don't get a lot of historical uh, reference beyond maybe Matthew chapter 1 and 2, Luke chapter 1 and 2, and then you get into the, the story of his ministry. But once you get into the later chapters of each of the Gospels, you really see what Jesus came for. And that is the purpose of every gospel writer. You see it plainly explained in John chapter 20 that he came that we may know that Jesus, or that he wrote those things in the, the gospel of John, that we might know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that through him we might be saved. Mark doesn't have that plain of a statement, but that statement encompasses the goal of each one of our gospel writers. Mark um, deals, and, and this is common for him, Mark is the shortest of the Gospels, and he deals with the bare, bare essentials. He doesn't dive into all of these theological ramifications. What he does is he shows us what Jesus did and why he did it. And you'll see over and over, if you, you go back into the Gospel of Mark, which he started several years ago, took a couple of years off and came back to a few months back, um, you see that, that he uses this term immediately, immediately. This happens, and immediately that happens, and he's all about the action. So you don't get a lot of extended detail, but you get some important details along the way. We're going to look at that in verses 33 through 41. Um, so last week, uh, we see that he has been hung on the cross, and now we see his death. Uh, remember that the night before the Last Supper, he has with his disciples, which is the Passover meal, then he is, goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane. He is arrested as his betrayer was at hand, Judas. He was taken before the kangaroo court, convicted of charges that were true, but they were not a crime. He was saying that he was the Son of God. Here's the deal. He was the Son of God. And you'll actually see that the, the guards that witnessed all this happen, I take account to that. Then he is forced to attempt to carry his own cross up the hill after a scourging. And none of us in here, I hope, have ever experienced that. 
but uh, 40 lashes minus one of a cat of nine tails is not something I would in, encourage anybody to want to endure. And then Jesus uh, has, heads up the hill and they pull a passerby from a city called Serene, a guy named Simon, to carry the, hill, the cross up the hill. And now he is on the cross. This all happened from dinnertime Thursday to 9 a.m. Friday. Quick. Pretty fast. Verse 33, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Most of us would probably want to say that that was 6 a.m. And this day, it was the sixth hour that the sun was up, which would be noon. So at the brightest point of the sunshine of the day, not an uncommon where we are right now. It's 1140 right now. You look outside, daylight. there's more daylight in this room than there is artificial light. Okay? The, the, the brightest moment of the day, it goes pitch black. Some people try to claim this for a solar eclipse. The, 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 the problem that most run into with it is the, the lunar calendar doesn't agree with that. This was a supernatural act of grief. This is the place where God closed his eyes to his son. Remember, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I and the Father are one. This is the place where that that penalty is paid and God grieves. It's dark at the brightest point of the day. Now, we, we might, you know, some of you might read this for the first time and be at wonder with that. If you haven't read this before, good. I'm glad you've read it now. But if you have read this hundreds of times before, try to put yourselves in the first moments this happened. It ain't normal. Something is not the same. Something has gone horribly wrong. The fact is, is that the author of creation, we talked about that in our class this morning, the author of creation has placed the penalty for our sins on him, on himself. At the ninth hour, that would be 3 p.m. So he's hanging up there three hours. It's dark for three hours. Eclipses don't last that long. Okay? You guys have probably seen an eclipse. There was one two or three years ago. It was pretty cool. I remember, you know, all the shadows went funny and and things like that. And uh, don't look directly at the sun, people. It's it's not smart. But you can see the effect of it. It changes things. We talked about it this time last year when we talked about uh, King Hezekiah and how it looked at the sun moved backwards. That that could have been an eclipse. That could have changed how the, the reflection of the light here. But it says... The ninth hour, that's three in the afternoon, been dark for three hours, Jesus cries with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. That is translated, well, let's keep reading it, which, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's go back to Psalm 22. What are the first lines of Psalm 22? My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? At that place and at that time, Jesus claimed Psalm 22 for himself. He declares himself to be the fulfillment of it. Now, here's the deal, is that there was a lot of superstition of the day. People thought that uh, Elijah would return. Because remember, if, you, if you've looked at the scriptures at all, 
Elijah was one of the was considered to be the greatest of the prophets. He went up in a whirlwind, never died. And it says in Malachi that he would uh, that the one who would come would come in the spirit of the power of Elijah. But that was the forebearer of the Messiah. And so there was some superstition of the day, and I got this from different research. If you want to look at it, but there's some superstition of the day that believed that those who were suffering greatly could call on Elijah, and Elijah would come and minister to them. And so, so, some of these guys who are listening to it say that's what's happening. They said, they're hearing it, they said, behold, he is calling Elijah. Because Eloi, or Eloi, or however you want to translate it, sounds pretty similar to Elijah. But, the fact is, is that Jesus is quoting the scriptures in that moment. It's one of the most important things he says from the cross. Because he declares himself to be forsaken by the Father. To be forsaken means you're completely abandoned in your time of greatest need. Jesus, though, comes with purpose. Jesus came. This is the baffling thing. I mean, there's a lot of baffling things about God. But God came to forsake himself so that we might no longer be forsaken. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Remember, the previous passage, last week, we talked about how he rejected the myrrh and the wine. Well, that was a sedative. All this did for him was put moisture on his tongue. And then talked about it in Psalm 22. He mentions it in Psalm 22, that that would be there. But, I don't know about you, but... um, Anything sour when your mouth is that messed up anyway? Remember, all he has endured. It's not just like they walked by the cross and hung him there. No, he was beaten and whipped and uh, tortured and then hung on the cross. His, his mouth was likely swollen and dry and parched. They gave him a drink of this wonderful sour wine. They put it on a reed. Wait, let us see if Elijah will come take him down. So... In the midst of all of this, they still miss the point. They're wondering, well, they think that that this is just a normal happening. Remember, it's dark, right? Verse 39, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Now, you can go into the other Gospels and find out some of the other things he would say. One of the things he said, and it's likely at this moment, is it is finished. The work of redemption was complete. Jesus had not left a box unchecked. The plan for redemption of salvation was completed through this man, Jesus. And again, something weird happens. Remember, it's been dark for three hours, guys. Okay? Middle of the day, middle of the springtime. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, that curtain was, there were actually two curtains. There was a curtain to the outer part and to the inner part of the Holy of Holies. There's been all kinds of debate on which curtain it was and all kinds of arguments about what was there and what was there. The fact is, is that theologically it doesn't really matter 
more than likely, it was both of them, but mainly the, the, the primary one being the, the one that separated the Holy of Holies, the place where the Ark of the Covenants was kept, that the high priest only entered once a year with the atonement for the people's sin. There was one person who was allowed to go in there once a year, and he had to be completely sanctified, completely purified before he could go in. If anybody else went in there, they died. They put bells on the end of the rope so that if the bells quit ringing, they could get the rope that they had tied to their leg and pull the the priest out. This is how certain they were of this and and, and the reality of it. And the fact is, is that that priest pays that ultimate price once a year. That's the Passover, by the way. That's the celebration that we're looking at here is the Passover. The ultimate Passover lamb has just died on the cross, the perfect offering. And the curtain is not torn from bottom to top. And this curtain's probably a foot thick, maybe even thicker. This is not something that we can just, just you know, go and make happen. It'd take a chainsaw <laughs> to see this happen. And Alistair Begg, who I listen to quite a bit, he calls this an act of divine vandalism. Only God could do this. Matthew describes earthquakes. You have all these things. There was an act of God that makes that happen. But what happens then is it's a picture of the death of Christ opening the gates to heaven for every person who trusts in Him. There is not one high priest on earth who who now speaks for the people. There is one high priest in Jesus who is the prophet, priest, and king who opens the heavens and we can come boldly, as Hebrews chapter 4 says, one of my favorite passages, come boldly into his presence. This is not something that we can do ourselves. This is an act that God has completed by Jesus' death on the cross. This is fulfilled in him. It says his heart became as wax in, in verse, um, in, I'm sorry, in Psalm 22. In the other Gospels, it talks about how they thrust a spear into his side and, and water came out to make sure that he was dead. None of his bones were broken. And the Jews that are watching missed it. How do we know? Because the centurion that had been attending to him, that had probably been there since the night when they arrested him, says... This, when the centurion in verse 29, or 39, I'm sorry, who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Those dogs that were mentioned in verse, Aaron Chats, come on, Duke. Psalm 22. The Gentile dogs were surrounding him. The bulls of Bashan those be the Roman centurions. People mocking at him and wagging their heads. What did they say last week? Aha! You know, they, they, they worshipped him as he was the king with, with his, his crown of thorns and the, the robe they put upon him. Now the ones who would be least likely to understand it come to a simple point of revelation because of how this guy died. This wasn't how crucifixion happened. 
they, they left them on the cross to suffocate? Or they broke their legs? And by the point that they died, they couldn't make a sound. Here, Jesus cries out. A moment of completion. And shows that this is different. Because friends, the cross changed everything. The cross pays the penalty for all those sins we think we can't handle. The the cross sheds the blood that ultimately forgives us of the sin that we could never imagine getting rid of on our own. I can't get rid of my sin. I don't even know all of my sin. Because I'm so sinful. And neither do you. The fact is, is that the state that is sin, the wage of that is death. Jesus shouldn't have had to die because he was without sin, but he became sin. He was forsaken by the Father. And the one who realized it was the Gentile dog. You talk about racism. Truly, this man was the Son of God. And what we find here is a picture of redemption for the entire world. Jesus, with that proclamation of the crime over his head, Hail, King of the Jews, right? The King of the Jews, and you go to the different Gospels, it has a more complete picture of everything. The crime for which he was committed was the king of the, being, calling himself the King of the Jews. Now, the Savior, it's recognized by the Gentiles. Jesus came to save us. He came to save you. And as I've said before, chances are you don't have much Jewish blood in you. You could. I mean, I don't know everybody's lineage in here. But I know I don't. I'm as Gentile as they come. And praise the Lord, Jesus came to save me. He came for the sin of the world. John 3.16, for God so loved Jews. Well, yes, he did love Jews. No, it says, for God so loved the world. That's everybody here. They sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. When we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we come to this realization that, that there's a problem that we cannot deal with ourselves. And the only solution is a sacrifice that we are unworthy to give. The one who was did it willfully. He laid down his life. There were witnesses. Verse 40. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So Jesus, through his ministry, valued women. I mean, people try to say that the Bible is this, you know, misogynistic book and things like that. And it's not true. Jesus sees value in each person and what they offer and how they minister. Really true. But, but ultimately what it matters is what we believe about Jesus. Whoever we are. That's the, the ultimate 
We need to come to the place of that Roman centurion where we recognize what he's done for us. Surely, truly, verily, this man was the Son of God. God loves you. The Son of God died for you and died for me. And by His stripes, Isaiah 53, we are healed. By His wounds, we are brought salvation. And again, if it stopped here, then all you got is a really lame form of deism. Two days later, three days later, on the third day, He conquers death. Now, if this wasn't normal, that's definitely not normal. We're going to get there. But instead of, I know, and I know the way it works out with a lot of us, is that we see what Jesus endures on the cross. By faith, we, we see the accounts that are found in, in the New Testament. And we, we say, I can't believe God would do that for me. the most unfathomable thing about God is that the one who holds every right to destroy us created us and loves us and wants you to be with him. And this is the way it happened through the cross. And God doesn't want you to carry guilt for putting him there. Because it, it wasn't because you did this or that that he did that. It be, because he gave us a choice because he loves us and he wants us to choose to love him. And this is the way he chose to bring redemption. And he wants us to lay our guilt at his feet and ask for his grace and his forgiveness. This was God's plan all along. And it doesn't make human logical sense. Because we would have tried to figure it out some other way. But thankfully, I'm not God and neither are you. The cross is the one way to come to faith in Jesus. You can't work it. You cannot work it out. I mean, you, 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 Paul tells us to to work out our faith with fear and trembling, but that is to, to show that we believe Jesus is the Son of God, not to, to be saved. I am incapable of saving myself. But the Bible teaches that Jesus did it for me, and he did it for you too. So the question as we go today is, what do you believe about that? I can't answer that question for you. I can only do it for me. What has Jesus done in your life today? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would lead us to trust you. I know that it's a, um, it's a step 
to give up ourselves, and that's, that's hard. But Lord, I know I can't save myself, and I, I pray for the one who might be trying to save themselves now that they would come to the realization that you have already done it. And I pray that you would give them the boldness to trust you, the humility to trust you. Thank you for the penalty you paid for me, for all of us, on the cross. And I pray, Lord, that we would bless you in faith by trusting you as our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. We'll sing and we'll... Uh... The altar's open. If you need prayer, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. And uh, God wants you to know him. Let's bless him.